Morning, church family. Morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful fall day, and just uh, hey, uh, you know, when you see the geese going south, you know the season's changing. When you hear people saying, "Get your toques out and your scarves," and you got the boots going on, you know it's the change of season. It's just one of those things. You just see the signs and. And you don't have to even be set, say a thing, you just know what's happening. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And happy you're here and to, to fellowship with one another and just study the word together and pray for one another. And just a, It's a sweet time to gather here. Uh, what we're going to do here is please stand. We're going to read a scripture here. We're going to read it together out loud. This scripture comes out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we thank you that we can come, and as we open up your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can transform our minds to be in minds focused upon you and like-minded in the fact that we desire to know you more. And you use your word to transform some of these things that we're wrong thinking, Lord. That is worldly thinking, not biblical thinking. Fleshly thinking, not spiritual thinking. We just ask you, Lord, by the power of your spirit, to just move in this place, move in the hearts of your people. We've, we've been singing to you, Lord. May those songs, those words be from our hearts. Not just songs, not just a filler of some type, but truly preparing us to have our ears open and our hearts softened to receive what you have for us this day. We thank you for bringing us here, and for those online, we welcome all. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. We'll be taking the first seven verses. You will find in these verses, last week it was all about the throne, Today it's all about the scroll, the seven seals on the scroll. Now some people, what are seals? It's not these seals. Yeah, these are my media guys are up there. They were awake this morning. They, had, they obviously had their, their Duncan. And uh, No, no, when we get into here, we see the next seals we'll be talking about. A little bit more in detail, but uh, I appreciate their little funniness this morning. Getting my, see if the pastor notices. Oh, pastor notices everything. You, <laughs> oh, we're gonna sit here and I'm gonna read through the first seven verses. Follow along, and then we will take verse by verse. There's much, much, much in these first seven verses here. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. This is Apostle Paul saying this. He wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, the Father, who sat on the throne. Father, again, we just uh, as we ponder on these verses and, and just go through these verses, Lord, just again bring clarity. I pray, Lord, that there are people who have read, they've seen, they've read this over and over, maybe have been taught this before, Lord, and maybe not in line with truth. May your truth be what comes out of my mouth, Lord, and nothing of me or nothing of else, but just your words for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 4, our subject was all about the redeemed gathered, you and I in the future around the throne of God and the Lamb in heaven. The Father sitting on the throne in the central and 24 elders surrounding that represented all of us. We notice that these 24 elders seen by John sitting on their thrones that is around God's, the Father's throne here in the midst of heaven who represented all of heavenly saints of this, of this and past dispensations. Now in chapter 5, we're still occupied with the same vision as in chapter 4, but now John sees even more. He sees where now, where we saw God Almighty was, uh, was worshipped and crowns being thrown to his feet as his throne as a creator. Now we also see the Lord Jesus Christ coming in view here, being worshipped and glorified and honored as well. But now where focus is, he is worshipped as redeemer. Not only creator, God is creator, but he's also redeemer here. And the stage is set in this chapter for the seven-year tribulation that will take, start taking place in chapter 6, which will be activated by the commands found in the scroll described in these verses. So the next thing that catches John's attention is the scroll in hand. He says, I saw in the right hand of him, God the Father, 
who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. We'll pause here and let's talk this through a little bit because he saw him. Remember, it's many times we do the same thing as studying the word. We'll read through and we see something and go, oh, that, look at that. That's interesting. That's, that's, wow, I love that truth. But as you spend time and you read it again, that same verse or verses, you see more. And then you read it again and God reveals a, a, a revelation and a, a illumination of, of his word. And you see even more to those same verses that you had just read three or four times prior. It's the same sense where I get where John is walking in. He's like overload, centrally overload. And he sees the throne and one sitting on it. And then as we go in, continue in the verses, all of a sudden he says, okay, now I see, I see 24 elders, I see angels, I see these things. Now he sees, again, by seeing the same scene, he's all of a sudden, wow, there is a scroll in the Father's hand. And we see more and more in depth of God's illumination to him and revealing of the truth to him. And we will see even more as we can continue to go here. But the thing he focuses now is from the throne. Now he focuses very much more specifically around the scroll. It's in the hand of the Father. But one of the things he's noticed here is not the fact that it's just a scroll, but the scroll has things written on the inside and on the back. What does that mean? Why is that in the scripture? Why is that highlighted? It's because it's complete. It's done. There's, it's a full. There's nothing else to add. There's nothing to add to the back. It's already full front, front and back. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an illustration, an illumination here to us of the fact that it's complete. It's done here. And it wasn't a common place to write on both sides of the scroll, if you know, historically. So what does this mean? The fact that it's not just written on one side. as it, All of these epistles, all of the books were written on a scroll. If you remember the understanding of the historical ancient scrolls, they were read horizontally, not vertically. So the scrolls were rolled up. And, and remember, they read from right to left, not left to right. And so when someone was taking a scroll, they had to break the seal in this case, seven seals. But if in just a normal, just reading, they would break the seal and they would start rolling it up on the right-hand side. Your love, you know what I'm saying, right? Don't go by my hands. But on the right-hand side and rolled it this way as they read right to left. Because this scroll was long-wise and horizontally, it was usually about... Um, three inches in width of each columns of information of the writings written on the substance. And it usually was like a brown paper. It's what you refer to, many refer to it as papyrus. Some believe in the ancient scrolls. Some of them were very uh, sheepskin, very, you know, um, pounded out to get really thin, but it was written on sheepskin. But we go for the papyrus. It's like the brown paper. But here we are. It's rolling out and it's being left and rolled as is unrolled from the left going to the right. And this would have been about 15 feet long in, in length of that paper. And they would sew the, 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 the paper together as they were connecting these. 
all the other epistles would have been just probably one piece of script, one scroll, right? It was just, just two little scrolls wrapped around two little wooden pegs there, and they just opened and closed it and then sealed it so it wouldn't come out. But here's 15 feet long, and here he is. This is the scroll that he sees, and he notices there's writing on the front and back of this. Now, what's interesting, we do not know exactly what was written on this. There's many commentators will tell you what they believe, what this scroll means and what it has on the scroll. But when a scroll was finished and it was fastened and the strings are there and the seals are on and the knots are done and everything is there and it's put it away, they, this is what he sees. But the seals must be removed to be able to open up the scroll and be read. See, in the Jewish history, the initial title deed would be written only on the smooth side and sealed with a single seal. But if the owner became unable to meet the financial obligations and becomes into debt and is still owed a debt on that deed, he would have to relinquish his title deed. And on the backside would be written all of his debts and upon which would be placed seven seals because of the witnesses of the different positions that they of the witnesses would be sealing that up. And if at any time during the ensuring seven years he could pay off his debts, the seals would be broken and the title deed returned to him as the owner. Now, as we look at this written scroll, through centuries, commentators would say there was different reasons why this scroll was important. All we need to do and remember is that it's not what is written on the scroll that's important, as much as in this case, the context is who is worthy to open the scroll. Many will focus on contemplating on what is on the, in the scroll. I keep it very simple because if you look at the scriptures and you know historically what it's being referred to in context through this, it's all about the title deed. And who is worthy to claim ownership of this world? See, remember the principle when you're studying the scripture. When you look and studying, especially the book of Revelation, we do not need to fall back on imagination of what's happening in the book of Revelation. We can actually see these symbols that are taking place and we can look to the Bible for explanation of what they mean. Or alluding to. Or illustrated by. So when it comes to this scroll, I find as we read the scriptures, a very important an illustration that we find in the Old Testament, I believe, explains this very clearly for me. Hopefully for you as well. It's found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 6 through 29. The prophet Jeremiah lived in a day just before the fall of Jerusalem, as you know. And they were under the authority of Nebuchadnezzar, who was ruling. And he had been telling the people of Israel, Jeremiah, telling the people, the prophet here, telling the people, this God's showing me that 
Israel, you are going to go into captivity, be carried away into captivity to Babylon. And you are going to be in captivity for 70 years. But at the end of that time, they would be restored and would build again the waste places where God is going to bring them back to. Now the word that came to Jeremiah, we see in verse 7 of chapter 32, a word came to Jeremiah from the Lord directly and it says, Behold... Hanamel will come to you saying, buy my field. And for the right of redemption would be Jeremiah's to buy it. So God showed Jeremiah, this guy, Hanamel, is going to come to you and say, buy my land. And the prophet is going to buy the land. Well, if it's of the Lord, what was Hanamel going to do? He's going to just... He's going to do exactly what Jeremiah was told by the Lord. Jeremiah just has to wait. Why? Because Hanamel was Jeremiah's cousin who had a piece of land and came to sell it to his prophet cousin who was in prison at the time for speaking the truth of the things of God and they put him in prison. Now this is finally fascinating because why did, did Jeremiah's cousin, Hanamel, want to sell the land? They're going into captivity. What am I going to do with land if I'm going to be taken off to Babylon and being in captivity? Doesn't matter what his mindset was. God directed him to sell the land and tell Jeremiah to buy the land. Now Jeremiah is the one the prophet had told him, we're going to Babylon. And he was going to Babylon. What is he going to do with the land that he's about to buy from his cousin? Ah, see, what you have to understand is God knows things and tells us and directs us sometimes when we don't fully understand why, but we just know we need to be obedient. So the Lord said to Jeremiah, buy the field. He was commanded to accept it as though it were worth, really worth having because the time was coming when it was not going to be worth anything. But God knew when he brings the people back, the land is going to be worth even more. Because God's people were going to Babylon, but God promised and told Jeremiah to tell his people I'm going to return you back to the land. You're going to take possession of the land again. So Jeremiah, buy the land. So Jeremiah obeyed and the title deed was made out. He paid for it. There was witnesses. They were sealed. And they were hidden for a time. Did you catch the illustration there? Who else Do we see in the scripture that he too would purchase the title deed? A deed of this world that he will not take possession of until the right time. But Jesus had to go 
and pay for this world. There were witnesses of him paying for this world. And he was sealed for three days. He was hidden for three days. But there'll be a time where he will come out. And there'll be a time where he'll take possession of this world. And this is what we're seeing is at this point in the scriptures where it's coming to that time. And we see it here in chapter 5. But Jeremiah purchased the land. And a sealed scroll was the title deed of Jeremiah's inheritance. And when the people of Israel did come back from Babylon, he would possess, or if he did not, a man, an heir of his, an heir of him, would be able to what man would be able to walk into the courts and say, I am here to claim the land that is my inheritance. But they would come and they would open up that scroll at that point in time to have the right to break the seals and take the property. Why? Because if it was Jeremiah, he has that right. If it's an heir and because Jeremiah died, then the heir would have that right. So what happened in verse 2? Then I saw a strong angel. Many believe it's Gabriel. It's one of the two strongest of of the angels that we see in scripture, but he saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Can't wait to find out who that strong angel was. That was. And what did he say? What, what, it was, what was said with a loud voice? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So the Apostle John said in verse 4, So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. See, this strong angel, many of again, it doesn't matter what, who the angel is, but he issued a challenge. He declared out there to all that could hear, all that could see. It was a, it was a, a very broad um, claim or challenge that says there is no one worthy to take this scroll or look at it. Notice what he said, who is worthy, not who is willing. Many over the history in this, from, from Hitler to, 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 to any world government leader, all is willing to rule the world. All wants to own the world and control the world and all the resources of the world and can be able to be everyone to worship him as God of this world. So many are willing. But that's not what the angel asked. Who is worthy? And what we find here, there is only one worthy. The one who paid the price for the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is the only one worthy. So when we take a look at this, the angels made that statement. John couldn't have made that statement. It was a, from a strong angel. It's, it was so commanding of that question, the command of that challenge, the command of that searching. 
And it went throughout all of the universe to find someone worthy. And did not find anyone worthy to even look at the scroll, let alone touch it. Only the Son of God who gave himself on the cross for humanity. He alone is worthy to carry out the future plan of the world. John was so overwhelmed by what he was hearing in, in this statement. All he could do is sit there and go, the world that I've just was, came out of to see in heaven, this is what the rest of the world and time of existence of history for man is going to be like? Under Roman authority and all the persecution and the pain, the suffering, that is what it's going to be for eternity? John really had an emotional moment. He was thinking on his emotions, and it led him to absolute, I wept much. In the original language, it means he was uh, crying, uh, convulsing. His, his crying was convulsing. It was it was overwhelming kind of cry, deep cry. Why? Because how can anyone imagine this fallen world that he's been experiencing in his life is what was going to continue. But, but John, it doesn't end just based on what your feelings are here. It's based upon what's going to happen next to the truth and it's going to be revealed to him. And let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters. If you look at this world and the things that it seems to be going in the directions that we're going, if you focus on what is happening in this world and what your life is going to be like here in the future, you're going to be like John. You're going to find yourself uncontrollable weeping and, and sobbing because you just have no hope. But if you will learn and hear me today, if you would set your eyes not on the things of, the, of, of this earth, but on the things above and understand this truth as we continue, as it's going to be revealed to, to, to the Apostle John, it reveals to us in the scripture, this world is not our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. Our future, our, everything was based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Even though we haven't been raptured yet, even though we're, we're not into this scene yet, we still have the hope because Jesus already died on the cross for you and me. To give you eternal life. To give you have a hope and a promise for the future. That's where someone can have hope when everything seems so dark. Encourage those as you come across in your daily life, they speak of words like they have no hope. You must immediately tell them about Jesus Christ, who is your hope. Don't, don't tell them to go and do anything else other than to pursue who Jesus Christ is. Because nothing else will last. The relationship with Jesus is eternal. 
to look upon the scroll, one must have the right to open the scroll and possess it. No one can touch that scroll, even look at it, unless you have the ability to open the scroll, that you are the one that can do this. The scroll in hand of him who sat on the throne is the title deed to this world. The scroll in hand contains the secrets of the future, the final stage of Christ's redemptive work that started from Genesis. All of creation wants to know the outcome. Everyone wants to know the future. Everyone's trying to control the future of your life. And some of you try to control the future of everyone else's life. You can't even control your own life. So what do you do? Go control someone else's. Ooh. But the only way to open the scroll is to break the seven seals. But you have to be the rightful heir to open up those, that scroll with, and break those seals. So who can? I have a title to break the seals. Title to claim the world. It belongs to me. Who is worthy to take possession of the world and have it subject to himself? Adam, what about you? Wait a minute, don't, Adam, wait a minute. Dude, did, 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 did you, wasn't you given the, the world, the title to the world to, to, to rule over it and to take care of it and, and to manage it and do everything that God, God gave that to you directly, remember? When God created you and placed you in the Garden of Eden? Did he not say that all this, this was yours to take and rule for him? Why didn't you come forward, Adam, and claim when someone said, who's worthy to take the scroll? Why didn't Adam do it? Why didn't you come forward and take the title and claim your property, Adam? Adam would say, I forfeited my inheritance because of my sin. It was mine, but I sinned it away. The devil cheated me out of it, and I have no longer any title to it. Okay, strong angel, angels, what about you guys? Why didn't you step up and take the title? Who could step up and take this scroll? No, no, not an angel, not among the angelic ranks of the heavenly host can say, I had the title to that world. How about you, man? Why didn't one of the elders, one of the men, step up and take the scroll? Not a man of all of God's universe can say it is mine. And that's why John came to a point of this uncontrolled sobbing because no one was found worthy. But there is no doubt that the earth is the Lord's. We see that in Psalm 24.1. And though the governments of this world belong to some sense to Satan, we see that in Luke chapter 4 verses 5 through 8. Don't be mistaken here. If God has to get the title deed back, when did God ever lose that title deed to the planet Earth? He didn't. 
It's right there in the scripture. It's in his hand. It wasn't lost. But the scroll must be open and it must be revealed and one must be now take over this world because Adam lost it. Satan gained it. Remember the illustration in the very beginning. They're in captivity. Someone's coming back to get the scroll. Who is able to take the scroll and break the seals? Up to the point when Jesus went to the cross. And when he died on that cross, what took place on the cross? He purchased your sin, the sin of the world. And when he purchased that sin, he purchased the sin of the world, it became his. But just like them, they have to wait until he comes back from Babel, comes back from captivity, comes back during that period of time. In this case, waiting for the Heavenly Father's perfect timing when he's going to send his son to claim the scroll. And we see that in our scripture today. This is not... An illustration, oh, that's kind of nice, let's see. This is a guaranteed will. See, the scroll represents Christ's title deed to all that the Father promised him because he, of his sacrifice on the cross. Remember the scripture, he is our beloved kingsman redeemer who was willing to give his life to set us free from bondage and to restore our lost inheritance. He loves you so much, personally, by name, that he was willing, while you rejected Jesus and had won nothing to do with him, he went to the cross to die for you, to make a way for you to be an heir. See, in verse 5, but one of the elders calms the apostle John down. And he says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So not an angel came and talked to, to John, but one of the elders and rescued John from his deep grieving depression here in this moment, showing him one of who has prevailed to open the scroll. This one was the great figure of the Old Testament prophecy, is it not? The lion of the tribe of Judah that we see in Genesis chapter 49 verses 9 through 10. You see the same title of Isaiah 31.4. Hosea 11.10. This describes Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah. It's also here, notice the second title, the root of David. Comes from Isaiah 11.10. 
It will be repeated in Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. The root of David. Jesus came before David. And Jesus established the, the lineage after David. And look in verse 6. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of elders stood a lamb. Not a lion. Stood a lamb. As though it had been slain. Not the cute little fuzzy little thing. With the furry little white curls. No, no. Slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all, into all the earth. So here, here's John. He's now calm. He's looking. He's been directed by this elder to see and to understand. No, no, no. There is one to prevail, to open up. The, the, the one who owns the title. He's going to open this. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. It's the lineage here. He has all the proper predicate, everything in place. He's the Messiah of Israel and of the Gentiles. He's over all here. But when John turned and he looked, because the elders announced me here, John expected a lion. But what he saw was a lamb instead. The word here in the original language is very important to understand. Our neon is the word used here for lamb, which means a little delicate lamb, not a roaring lion. The lamb of God who comes and takes away the sin of the world. The lamb. Scripture tells us he was slain. He had, was slain. If you remember, he was slain brutally. We see it even according to Isaiah 52. Jesus' appearance is so marred more than any other man in life ever. Started in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember, in the psychological and the spiritual stress, it brought him to a point where his, he started bleeding and weeping and I mean, sweating blood from him because of the weight and the pressure mentally, spiritually. The decision to go to the cross was made right there at the Garden of Gethsemane that he was going to drink the cup of wrath that the Father was going to give him, which is your wrath and my wrath upon him. When, God, when people say, God doesn't understand what I'm going through, he has gone to the depths of psychological challenge that you would never, never experience. Jesus went to the depths of spiritual separation knowing he was about to go and be separated from his father that he's never been separated from. That you and I have never experienced. We started separated, then we came to Jesus. Or came to a, a relationship. But that wasn't the end. Then it was going to be the whole physical thing. 
where we see in the scripture that he was beaten beyond recognition. We always look at these pictures that are all around in these paintings, making him look something that he was never looked like. His body was shredded. But we see here that even though he had the appearance of slain. What did he, he look like when we actually see him face to face? I can't even imagine. It's going to be very evident to me, but at the same time, so glorious to see him. But Jesus experienced the marring and scarring in ways we'll never understand until we see him. of what that brutality on the road to Calvary looked like. The coming judgment beginning in chapter 6 is dictated and administered by this lamb who had already offered an escape from judgment. He says, I can help you keep you from judgment of your sins because I am going to take and take that judgment upon myself and himself. And I'm going to do that for you to help you not having to receive the judgment that you would deserve. And I deserve. The judgment will come upon a world that hates the Lamb. Who has rejected Jesus, the Lamb. Who rejected all of them, all the and again, I'm thankful and grateful that I have given my life to Jesus so I am inspired from the judgment and I've just surrendered my life. And I, you as well. And I do hope you have given your life to Jesus so yet you will be spared from the judgment. Because here in chapter 6, as we get to it, we will find here now the start of that where the Lamb says, I'm going to take the scroll. And this is what's going to take place to those who have rejected me. Those who hate me. And all he stands for. And rejects his offer of escape. Don't, for, don't, don't miss this, my brothers and sisters. When you're sharing the good news and how God has given you an escape route. From judgment. And they reject you. And your message of the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the lamb. And rejecting the escape route that he's giving them to get free. To be forgiven of their sin. But their pride. Their pride. That they can do it on their own. Is what's causing them to to face this judgment. Don't let that hinder you from keep going out there and continuing to share the gospel. That's what we're called to do. They just don't know because they're blinded, just like you and I were blinded one time. But by the grace of God, he finally opened up the door of our heart and let him come in and ask him for forgiveness. That's it. By the grace of God, We notice here in the scripture that 
Yes, he's slain, but he has seven horns and, and seven eyes. What does that mean? Well, they're, they're just, they represent the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth here. What does it mean, though? It is a mark. It's a figure of, of showing that the seven is perfection, right? It's, it's completeness. It means that his horns means power. He, that means the marks of omnipotence are all powerful or perfect power. That's the seven horns. The omniscience, all-knowing, the perfect knowledge is the seven eyes. So the slain lamb who has the marks of omniscience, omnipotence, and presence, the lamb fulfilled perfectly the title deed of ownership of this world. That's what it's talking about here. And it's the representation of the seven spirits of God is sent into the other world. The Holy Spirit is not only the spirit of God in a sense of a spirit of the Father, but also the spirit of Christ. It's the fullness of God's spirit presence right there. He says, this is who he is. And this is what he's going to do. Verse 7. Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. No created being was found worthy to take the scroll. But the lamb can take it. His character and who he is and the ability to take the scroll and open it is dictated the destiny of creation here. Has been permanently demonstrated by his work, unfinished work on the cross. And there is no other way. The fact that God gave the Lamb the authority to open the seven seals should not be understated here. Jesus told his disciples that he would have, he has been given all authority over all the things under the heaven and by uh, under heaven by God the Father. We see that noted in Matthew 28, 18. He told them then, John, were you not listening to him <laughs> when he was telling you this? That God the Father gave him all authority. So who's worthy to open the scroll? John, do you remember? Now he does. <laughs> I said, I can't, I can't bash my brother John because sometimes God will sh- t- t- say things to me, and then later on I'm like, who? What's going? How is this all going to work out? Who? How is this going to happen? Where are we going to do? How, how are we going to provide? And, and and you get all anxious, and then all of a sudden when it comes and works its way through, you look back and go, oh yeah, God did tell me that. Be anxious for nothing, <laughs> but by prayer and supplication. Make your request be known to God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. Corey, I told you don't worry about these things. I'm going to work these things through. If you just keep your eyes on me and follow me here. He has authority to exercise justice. Jesus has the authority to bring justice Upon the judgment of mothers. We will have only eyes for the Lamb whose body will be all eternity, and the marks that tell of our redemption will be so clear to us when we see this. What a sight it will be for us. God's beloved. God's beloved people, when we look upon his face, feel his gentle touch. Behold the print of the nails in his hands and feet. 
and see the mark left by the Roman spear in his side. The prophet Habakkuk describes him as having bright beams coming out of his side and there was the hiding of his power, Habakkuk 3.4. The wounds, are, signs are there, but the power will be very clear to us. Here's the question, my brothers and sisters, or questions for you. Do you know the blessed Lamb of God? Do you know him personally? Is he your own Savior, your Savior? Not your grandmothers, not your mothers, not your friends. Not to, is he your Savior? Have you cast yourself on his mercies? By the grace of God, have you cast your life over to him? Jesus came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the Father that sat upon the throne. He had the right to act it. Because he went to the cross in infinite grace to pay the great debt of sin. To redeem the inheritance. And to free it from Satan's domination. No longer will Satan have be the, be the prince of the air. That's going to end. And his demonic forces will not be ruling over the nations. That will come to an end. Will no longer influence nations' leaders to do wicked things. That will come to an end. Because he died on Calvary's cross, he purchased that entire world to be his own. And guess who was part of that world? You and I. He brought it all back when he hung on Golgotha's tree. He did it all. But to be over 2,000 years now since the cross, he has been waiting patiently up there in glory until the appointed time the Father says to go and claim your inheritance. He starts by coming and getting his bride, which is you and I. Christ is coming again. And we see in the scripture, the lamb has the title to the scroll. The scroll is in his hand. Soon and very soon. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. Oh, I don't know. Everyone else, but Lord, I am encouraged. Ooh, I don't have to put my eyes on what's going on in this world. I know you're, you're coming back soon for us. That you're in control. And I just need to follow you. Just be obedient to you. Just worship you. With all my heart and soul and strength, I just stay focused upon you. As you use us, each of us, Lord, your people, to reach the loss. To bring more to Christ. And by sharing what you've done for them on that cross. That you are in control. That the judgment of our sins and our life can pass. 
and be forgiven. So as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if the Spirit of God right now is touching your heart to give your life to Jesus, to be spared that judgment because of your sins, the Lord is speaking to your heart right now, and if you just feel the pounding of your heart, that you want to give your life to Jesus and ask for forgiveness of your sins. Raise your hand. I won't call you out. I just want to know who God is touching, whose heart he's touching and says, give your life over to me. God bless you. Who is there anyone else who wants to give their life to Jesus? God bless you back there. God bless you. Don't hold back as the spirit moves and touches your heart. He's, he's, he's personally knocking at the door of your heart and says, I want a relationship with you. Do you want a relationship with me? The Savior of the world wants a relationship with you because he loves you. And he died for you to demonstrate that love. Is the Spirit of God touching your heart to surrender your heart to him today? Don't push back. Open the door. Let him come in. He says, he'll make home. Raise your hand if there's anyone else that want to give your life to Jesus right now. To surrender, let God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you there. And put your hands back down. Anybody else that God is touching right now? To, that you can be born again today and be forgiven of your sins and judgment that was coming has just now passed. Those who raise their hands just now, as the judgment that was going to, they're going to face just passed. They've been forgiven. Their sins have been wiped away by the blood of Christ. Anyone else wants to give their life to Christ today? For those online who are raising their hand in their living room right now, please let us know if you raise your hand and you've given your life to Christ because we want to send you something for you to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Anyone else here that wants to give their life to Jesus? Father, we thank you and praise you for your spirit just reaching out and touching the hearts of the people that needed to hear your truth. To finally not play religion, not just kind of showing up for church, not knowing what's going Lord, they don't know... Many of us didn't know anything about who you are and how this whole thing works. But by your grace, you said all it matters is if you learn and understand that I love you and that I paid for the penalty of your sins. And anyone who comes to me and surrenders their life and asks for forgiveness of their sins, I will forgive them and cleanse them of all their sins to pass judgment past them and give them eternal life because of the decision they've made to choose to follow you with their life, Lord. Ah, oh, that born-again experience, the going from darkness into light. How many people live in darkness, so dark, so confusing, so misdirected. Oh, we thank you for bringing us in the light to be able to see. <laughs> Spiritually see things, experience things in our life that we never thought we would. I thank you for touching the hearts of those who raise their hands physically, but maybe there are some in here 
that we're doing it in their head, Lord, but that not physically raise their hand, but that I pray they're completely committed to surrendering their life to you. Save them, Lord. Seal them for eternity with your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen.